0: Good morning to everyone, and welcome to the well here at STSA. Great to see so many people on this first official Sunday of summer. And if you are here joining us today, you're coming in at the tail end of a series called Happy. And if you missed any of the first three parts of this series, you can always go back online to our YouTube page or our web page, and you can get caught up. Basically, what we're doing, as you see right there on the screen, is we're talking about what does it mean to be happy, but we're flipping the definition upside down. Because what we're doing in this series is seeing, according to Jesus, how to live a happy life, a truly happy life, the long-term happiness, not the short-term kind. And what we've been seeing is that it's the exact opposite, the upside down of what we may have thought before we started this series. Jesus talks about a life of happiness, but he doesn't mention money once. He doesn't mention big houses. He doesn't mention promotions. He doesn't mention cars or technology. He doesn't mention any of those things that so often we link to our own happiness because we kind of have this idea that happiness needs to kind of happen to us and we're waiting for something to happen to us or a circumstance in our life to get resolved, our circumstance to take place, waiting for something outside to give us the inside happiness and simply that's not how it works. What Jesus has made it very, very clear is that happiness is the opposite. Happiness is not outside in, it's inside out. Happiness is not about what life does to you, but about what you do. It is not about the choices that are around you that impact you, but the choices that you make. And if there's nothing else you take away from this series, listen carefully to this, then you go to sleep the rest of the time. If there's nothing else you take away from this series is that happiness, which we agreed in the beginning, everyone wants. Happiness is a choice you make, and it's in your control. Again, we don't look at it that way. We think that I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if, Or I'll be happy because, but what we've seen right here with Jesus is, no, you can take happiness in your hands. And happiness, according to Christ, is about making certain choices. And so far, we've covered three of the choices. Who remembers what the first choice of happiness was? He said, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. Okay, not the most enthusiastic answer, but that's okay, I'll take it. He said, happy are those who choose to be poor in spirit. And we said poor in spirit is like humility. Poor in spirit means, we gave like a three-step definition. It means admitting that I need help, two, asking God for that help, and then three, accepting the help when God sends it in the form of others. Happiness is not about you're strong or you're weak or you're rich or you're poor. It's about people who choose to say, I will be poor in spirit. No one can make that choice for you, but no one can deny you that choice either. The second choice of being happy, blessed are the... Or, blessed, I'm sorry, are those who mourn? Even weaker answer than the first time, but that's okay. I'll give you a hint. The next one is pure in heart. Okay, so just when I say it, you give me, boost my ego. <laughs> blessed are those who mourn. And what we talked about there is how can mourning lead to happiness? Well, what we said there is that every one of us is going to experience trials in life, and you have two choices. Our natural inclination is to escape to resist the trial, to push it far away. And when it goes away, then I'll be happy. But what Jesus said, it's not those who escape the pain, but those who embrace the pain. And it's not those who are always trying to run or resist, but those who embrace what God has put in their life and find the comfort of God in it. But you will never find God's comfort unless you learn to embrace that which he's giving you in your life. The third choice was blessed are the? Very good, pure in heart. Thank you very much. Thank you. Blessed with the pure in heart. We talked about this last week, and what we said is pure in heart doesn't mean perfection. Purity is not the same as perfection. Purity is less about whether you have any marks on your whiteboard, but it's more about who does your whiteboard belong to, and it's about undividedness in my heart, and I say, I am wholly yours, God, and I entirely belong entirely to you, and I may have some blemishes, but I give myself entirely to you, and I live only for you and for your purpose in life. Those are the first three. Today, we're going to shift gears slightly for the last two weeks in this series. The fourth choice, the first three that we talked about were what I call the horizontal relationship in life, about my relationship between me and God, the poor in spirit, those who mourn and, like I said, embrace, those who are pure in heart. Today, we're going to shift to the horizontal. We're going to go from the vertical to the horizontal. Then not to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but love your neighbor as yourself. And what we're going to see is that the true measure of happiness, you agree with this and I agree with this, the true measure of happiness, how can you tell somebody, how can somebody say, I am happy and I am content and I am satisfied? Usually it's connected to their relational success. And what we're going to see here today is Jesus is going to address the area of our life that oftentimes keeps us bound and in prison to bitterness and misery and keeps us away from happiness more than anything else. And it's not between me and God usually. It's usually between me and somebody else on this planet or multiple people on this planet. That's where most of the pain and anguish comes from. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 says, let's read it all together, Okay. It said blessed or happy. We said those are interchangeable words. Let's go with happy this time. Okay, ready? On three. One, two, three. Happy are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. While happiness starts vertical, happiness continues horizontal to be complete. And I'm going to go with a little warning right off the bat right here. That today's message is not for the faint of heart is that if you came in today and you said, I just want to, to hear a nice message, I want to drink a cup of coffee, and I don't really want to dig deep inside, today might not be for you. You came on the wrong Sunday, because what we're going to do today is we might poke and prod and dig a little bit deep. You know how when, when you move into a new house, when you sell your old house and you move to a new house, Okay, if anyone's ever had this experience recently, you know how every house there's rooms where you never go inside there, you just throw your junk in there, you know, like that? Okay, and then it's not until you sell the house that you're like, oh, oh, we have to open up that crawl space and see what's in there. And you go in there and you like make the sign of the cross because you don't know what's growing in there. Like, you don't know, like one of your children may be in there. Like, you don't know what is happening in that room because all you know is that anytime you had something and you didn't know where to put it, you just stuff it in there. And you just kind of keep throwing stuff in there If you don't, you can't, you don't have a place for it. You know that you don't want to throw it away or you can't throw it away or, but you just kind of throw it in this one place. But then when you move, you open the door and Lord have mercy on what it is that you find. Well, I believe life, we all kind of have the same thing in in our hearts as well. There's kind of areas in all of our lives. There's things that we don't want to deal with. We don't know how to deal with. There's pain, there's hurt, there's hardship. And sometimes because we don't know how to deal with it we just do is we just stuff it in a room and we say, do not enter. We put a big sign, do not enter with uh, uh, the police tape. Okay. And anytime someone brings up this, we say, nope, nothing to see here. Keep moving. Keep moving. Nothing to see here. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. And oftentimes the reason is because we just don't know how to, we don't know how to process it. We all have things in our life hurts that are unexplainable. And actually when we try to explain it, we just feel ourselves getting more and more hurt and more and more resentful. So what we do, we bury them in that room. We pretend they don't exist. Or we pretend, okay, I know they're in there, but they're not that big a deal. It is easier to pretend it's not a big deal. It's easier to hide from the pain than to open that door and face it. But what you already experience if you've done this, it is impossible, impossible to live free in the present if I am a slave to something in my past. like I said, that's unfortunately where many people find themselves today. I know people today have been married 10, 15, 20 years, still holding on to something that happened in year one of marriage. Still holding on. First year of marriage, this happened. And then no matter what has happened in the last 19 years, still holding on to that. I know some people that won't let go of something that happened when they were a teenager. I can never get past this person, what they did to me or a parent, my childhood. And they abandoned me or they neglected me or they didn't give me or they gave me too much or they wouldn't provide. And I know some people who are living as slaves, slaves to things that happened years ago. And what I say today, it's time for freedom. It's time to let go of those things. It'll always be easier. Let me ask you, serving. Which is easier to remember? Hurts? joys. If I say, let me just pick a random year, go back to second grade. Second grade. I'm sure I had a great second grade year. I mean, I was a young budding athletic start. Okay. I was doing great in my, you know, learn how to tie my shoes, whatever it may be. And I'm sure I did a great job in second grade. In general, I'm a happy-go-lucky guy, but I still remember. I still remember Sister Ann Hughes, what she did to me, okay, in that class that one time, okay, when Matthew Somerville did what he did, and then I smiled, and she thought I'm the one who did the prank, and she grabbed me by my ear and dragged me out and humiliated me in front of everyone in the class. You're seven, so no one really cares, but in my mind, it was like the end of the world. I'm sure I had a great year. I'm sure I did lots of good stuff. What I remember is the hurt. What I remember is the pain, and I bet you your life is the same way. I bet you if I say, Tell me the things that you remember most about your childhood, I bet you you would point to a hurt, not a happy. Well, what Jesus says right here is that if we want to be happy, truly happy, inside out happy, happy like we talked about the last three weeks, happy that nobody can take away, that we need to learn how to let go because it's mercy and learning to be a merciful person that will give you happiness more than anything else. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at a passage from Matthew chapter 18. It's a parable Jesus gave about the importance of merciful mercy okay, and forgiveness. And let me tell you before we read the passage. Just in case, you're, you're worried that this is going to be one of those, Father, anything's going to tell me I should forgive because so and so, or I should let go because this is not going to be forgive because they, forgive because of it. This is going to be forgive because of you. This has nothing to do with the other person or what they've done, and you substitute anything you want right here for what we're going to talk about. This is all, this message entirely from Jesus is going to be about what I will benefit and the freedom I will find and the happiness I have at my fingertips when I learn how to let go and be merciful. The story starts in Matthew chapter 18 with a conversation between Jesus and his beloved disciple, St. Peter. Matthew 18, 21, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70, 70 times seven Peter, kind of feeling himself today, you know, like, Lord, I just forgave my idiot brother again. My idiot brother, for the sixth time, did the same idiot mistake. And I forgave him. So let me ask you, in front of, of course, all the other disciples, hey, Jesus, when my idiot brother sins against me, How many times should I forgive him? Three, four, five, seven. (laughs) Thinking, of course, Jesus would say, oh, bravo, Peter, like seven? Wow, you're really spiritual, man. What does Jesus say to him? Jesus flips everything upside down, doesn't he? Peter came, like I said, saying, look how great I am, I forgave seven times. And Jesus flips the paradigm. He says, you're missing the point of forgiveness, Peter. You think you're forgiving for their sake and they, own, and they deserve seven times, eight times, nine times? I'm telling you forgiveness? Basically, you're asking me the question, how often should I heal myself when I'm sick? That's a question you just asked me. How often should I take medicine when I'm sick? How often should I go to the doctor when I'm sick? And the answer, Peter, is anytime you're sick, you go to the doctor. Anytime you have the, 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 the virus, you take the antibiotics, or whatever it may be. Anytime you have the disease, you take the medicine. So at 7, 8, 9, 10, Jesus flips the paradigm upside down. Let's make this personal and practical for you. Have you ever asked yourself this question? How, how often shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? How often should I forgive my brother or my sister who keeps letting me down? Or my uncle? or my aunt or my mother or my father who let me down when I was a kid, who let me down when I was first married, who let me down when we had our first child and continues to let me down. How often should I continue to forgive that person, Jesus? How often should I forgive my coworker who continually drops the ball every single time he has a responsibility? How often should I forgive? How often should I forgive my parents, Lord, for the hurtful words that they told me when I was young and they continue to say these sharp words, not realizing the sharpness of their words. How often should I forgive them, Lord? Any the answer, like Peter got, is you don't understand forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't about how much they get. It's about how much you deserve. And then he tells this parable. It's kind of a long parable. We'll read the whole thing. Okay, we won't go through detail by detail, but just let's read the whole parable so we understand it, and then we'll break it down a little bit. He says therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and that all that and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying master have patience with me and I will pay you all. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave the debt. But but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. So 10,000 talents, let's for our purposes say that's like $100,000. 100 denarii, let's say that's like 50 bucks. Okay, so he was forgiven a $100,000 debt and now someone else owes him 50 bucks, okay? And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not but went and threw him into the prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were, gr- they, were, they were very grieved, and they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you, to each of you, from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. There's three characters in the story. Humor me here. You have God, you have servant number one, servant number two. I'm sorry, not God. You have the master, the king. The king, obviously, is a picture or type of. Who Who is the king in the story? It's God. The first servant is who? Anyone who has sinned against God. Okay, the first servant is anyone who has sinned against God. So I'm not going to say it's you, but it's you. If you've sinned against God, who's the second servant? Anyone who has sinned against anyone who has sinned against God. The first servant, anyone who sinned against God. The second servant, anyone who sinned against this person. So we can safely insert our own selves in that first servant role and say we have sinned against God. So we're the first guy. And the second one is anyone who has hurt us or sinned against us. We're gonna see a couple lessons from this passage. The first lesson is glaringly obvious and needs really no explanation. But the lesson, the main lesson of this passage is the most forgiving should be, emphasize should be, the most forgiving. The most forgiven should be the most forgiving. Let's go back to the story. The first servant, this day, is called into the king's office. He's called in. Imagine you're called into your boss's office. And the boss tells you, okay, the the king told him that you owe me $100,000. You owe me 10,000 talents. And you have to pay me exactly what you owe. Imagine tomorrow morning you go to the office Imagine you go into the office tomorrow, your boss, actually no, not the boss, the CEO of the company, calls you in. So I'd like to have a word with you. So we actually discovered over the past five years of your employment, we've been overpaying you. And we discovered that actually you knew that we were overpaying you and you didn't say anything about it. You now owe us $100,000 and you took it willingly. You knew that you were taking something that was not yours. You owe me $100,000 and you need to pay by the end of the week, what would you do? Anyone here got an extra 100 grand lying around? If so, we'd like to have a fundraising meeting with you after the service is <laughs> over. Anyone here is like, oh yeah, 100 grand, sure, here you go. And then your CEO says, you say to him, I can't pay that, I got $100,000. He says, if you don't pay me by Friday, I'm taking your house, I'm taking your car, I'm putting you and your family in jail which probably isn't legal in America, but let's just say this. What are you going to say? What are you going to do? What would you do? Go to Canada. <laughs> Someone said, go to Canada? Okay. Let's, yeah, go to Canada. Okay. I, I have no comeback for that one. I'm sorry, okay? That's, I'm very rarely at a, at a loss for words, but that, that is a very good comeback, okay? If you can't afford the trip to Canada because you're in $100,000 in the hole, Okay you'd beg for forgiveness. you say, no, please, sir, please. No, I can't. No, please. They're gonna kill me in jail and I can't go to jail. My wife and my kids and she's pregnant. And I, please. And you would beg and beg and beg and beg and beg and plead. Please have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And somehow the guy does. And the last thing you would expect your boss to say is, okay, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. I'm sorry. Okay. What I beg you, like, do you if the king would have told this servant, okay, you know what? I'll cut the debt in half, I'll give you a payment plan over the next six months, okay, you know, 4% interest, whatever it may be, and you know, I'll just take half of your possessions, and you're the servant, and the king told you that. How would you leave that day? Say, Hallelujah! Praise God! Praise God! Cut the debt in half. Payment plan, 4% interest. You would say, this is the greatest day of my life. I was supposed to go to jail. I owed $100,000. I now have a six months to get something done. And it was cut in half. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. But that's not what the king said. what did he say? Okay. You owe me $100,000. Okay. All done. Wiped away. No payment plan. No installments. No, not even a... Not even a slap on the wrist, not even a talking to. Okay, how should this man have walked home this day? This man should've, like on the clouds. He should've walked home today, the happiest man on the planet. If you'd have told him he won the lottery, wouldn't be as great as this day. You, this day, the greatest day of my life, I should walk in my house and say, honey, sweetheart, kids, Shut the TV. Let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened. Greatest miracle ever happened today. I was forgiven a gigantic debt. And you don't know what this means for us and for our future. We have been saved. That's how he should have left. But instead, while he should have been skipping, he ran into another servant. And he should have been in heaven. And the servant says, or he says to the servant, hey, you owe me 50 bucks, don't you? 50 bucks. 50 bucks. 50 bucks? Were you? Did you miss the $100,000 part? Did you miss that you have no payment plan? Did you miss that it was forgiven entirely and instantly? All of a sudden, he sees a guy who owes him 50 bucks, chokes him, takes him by the throat, throws him in prison. And it went straight downhill shortly thereafter. Any talk on forgiveness must begin with the foundation of forgiveness, which is that we have been forgiven a debt that we could never have paid, an enormous debt. St. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. He said, we should put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Any talk on forgiveness has to start with, hey, do you realize that you've been forgiven? And do you realize the size of the debt that you were forgiven? Like, we don't like to talk about this. What's a lot more fun to talk about is talk about what God has not done for me or what God has not given to me. You know, I've been praying for this and God hasn't, and God still hasn't come through on this, and God hasn't answered me on this. It's a lot easier and a lot more fun to talk about the things that God hasn't done. But if we're honest, every one of us, we need to pause and and realize how much of a debt God has forgiven us. So let's go through just a sampling, okay? And I won't make you raise your hands, but I think I probably know the answer. If you have lied this past week, okay? Anyone who has lied. Again, don't raise your hands, but uh, anyone who has slightly exaggerated the truth, anyone who has embellished a story, be it online or in person, I see smirks all around, make, don't make eye contact with anybody, okay? You owe a debt. If anyone here in this room has talked bad about another person or even thought bad about another person, and that includes the, yeah, I was just joking, okay? Like Father Timothy told us today. I didn't mean to say that. Out loud, okay? If anyone here has had an anxious thought or an impure thought or a lustful thought or a greedy thought, if any of those have happened in this past week, just this past week, you owe a debt. And you owe a debt that you probably can't pay. And I didn't even get into the week before or how many years before. And I didn't talk about laziness. I didn't talk about gluttony. I didn't talk about patience. I didn't talk about grudges. I didn't talk about honor your father and mother. I didn't talk about any of that stuff. When you start to add all that stuff up together, I'm telling you, the man, if you go tomorrow to your boss and he says you owe $100,000, that will be significantly less than if God put a price tag on the amount of sins that we've done to him. Easier for you to pay back $100,000, which you can, than to pay back the debt that you and me owe to God our Father in heaven. But the beautiful thing, God has forgiven us. Let me ask you, did anyone here have a payment plan when God forgave them? Anyone here had to make installments? Anyone here had an interest rate that they had to pay when God forgave their sins freely? Well, if the answer is no, then we, like the man, should be the happiest. We should leave church on Sundays skipping home. We should walk out of our time of prayer and repentance and especially the sacrament of confession. We should be people that our are, 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 are heads, or are, 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 when your head is in the sky whatever that is, when you are not on this earth, we should be those kind of people because we've been forgiven such a great debt. And then if we run into someone who's wronged us, 50 bucks, 60 bucks, 100 bucks, it should put a different perspective on it. Ephesians chapter four basically says the same thing, verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. What St. Paul is saying is because we have been forgiven the most, we should be forgiving the most. Those who have been the most let go should be the most easy to let go. Those who have tasted mercy should be the quickest to share it. But if we're honest, we're not. So let me ask you this question. Why is it that we know we've been forgiven, yet we struggle to forgive others? Go back to the servant here. Why is it that he was so quick to receive forgiveness, but so slow to give it? I think that all of us have a little bit of hypocrisy, and if we're honest, and I think we have different views for my sin versus your sin. Let's say you sin, you exaggerated the truth. You were late to work. You cut somebody off on the beltway. What do you feel in your mind, in your heart, is the appropriate response for your sin? I would say mercy. When it comes to my sin, it's, ah, don't be so uptight. Ah, I was just joking. Ah, give me a break. Why everyone here takes life so seriously? Yeah, I may have cut the person off, but I was late, and it's not not that big a deal. And everyone here, just relax, because when it comes to my sin, it's, you know, these things, such as life. But what about when it's someone else's sin? What if it's not I cut someone else off, but someone cut me off? What if it's not I broke my promise to you, which shouldn't be that big a deal, like you should know I'm busy, you should be understanding. But what if it's you broke your promise to me? What if it's not, parents? What if it's not, well, I said this to my kids, but my kids will understand. What if it's not what I said to my kids? What if it's what my parents said to me? Same standard? I think what someone else is said, we don't want mercy, we want justice. When it comes to what someone else did for me, no, they have to pay. Now, that isn't right. Now, they need to learn a lesson. You can't treat people this way. You have to be respectful, You can't disrespect people this way. They have to know who I am. They can't, they can't just walk all over me like that. Right? Like if we're honest, there's a double standard. How I view my own sins, mercy, no big deal. How I view sins of others, justice, big deal, they should have to pay. Jesus says it doesn't work that way. What he says is you can have mercy or justice, but you can't have both. You choose. So if you want my sin and their sin, mercy, we'll go mercy. I'll forgive, but you forgive. But if you want justice, we'll go justice on both. You have to choose. A couple of verses that show it right here. We'll go through these quickly. Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Easy. Mercy or justice? You choose. Your choice. You want to, you want to hold on to all sins? Let's hold on to all sins. You want to let go of all sins? We'll let go. But yours and others have to be in the same category. Next verse. Mark 11:25. But when you, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. Why? So that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Last one, James 2.13, good one to hang up over your mirror if you struggle with forgiveness because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. That's a tough one. Judgment without mercy to those who show no mercy to others. Some people, remember, old people in this room, remember back when we used to go to the library when we were in school? And you remember those things, the card catalog system? You remember that? Okay, like the Dewey Decimal thing, like everything was like, you know, autobiographies, whatever, like 127.6, whatever that was, is an extremely inefficient way to find a book compared to what it is today. But that's how we live. Okay, you used to go to the library in the Dewey Decimal, and everything was filed away in that little card catalog. Okay, young people, just trust me on this one, okay? You can Google it or Wikipedia or whatever it may be. There's this thing. Some of us were like the library card catalog system. If I were to say to you, Tell me about your first year of marriage. And you pull it out. You pull out the card. First year of marriage. You know, number 127.6, okay? My spouse did this, and then they did this, and you know exactly what they did and what they owe you for it. Then you say, okay, first, you know, when you first had a child, and you put that in, and you pull out this one. This is what my mother did do, what my mother didn't do. And they can tell you every detail about every hurt that's ever happened to them in the history of their life. Question for you, can a person who's living that way ever be happy? Like, can you imagine a scenario when a person has the Dewey Decimal card catalog thing for every hurt that's ever happened to them? Is there any way for this person to be happy? Just logic says, no chance. Found a nice quote from an online blogger that wrote this. As long as we are unable to forgive, we keep ourselves chained to the unforgiving. We give them rent free space in our mind. That's a great expression. We give them rent free space in our mind, emotional shackles in our heart, and the right to torment us in the wee hours of the night. That's why our second lesson, okay? First lesson was the most forgiving, forgiven should be the most forgiven. The second lesson is unforgiveness leads to torture. Unforgiveness leads to torture. I'm not saying God will torture you I'm saying you will torture yourself. You will voluntarily put yourself shackles, chains in a torture chamber and suffer the consequences. Again, let's go back to that servant. He was forgiven the $100,000 debt. Should be the happiest day of his life. But how did the day end for that servant? It said that his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers. That's why I use that word torture. Until he should pay all that was due to him. A day that should have been celebrating with his wife, a day that should have been drinks on me, a day that should have been let's go and celebrate this great occasion ended with him being tortured. Why? Because that's what happens when there's unforgiveness. And I think the same thing will happen to us as well. I think when we choose not to forgive, we put ourselves in a torture chamber. I think when we lock ourselves in and we build walls of resentment and bitterness and grudges and we're justified and they owe us and they shouldn't have and we're right and whatever it may be, you're right, you're right, you're right. You're a thousand percent right. You're only hurting yourself. You're only torturing yourself and locking yourself in to pain and misery for as long as you continue to hold on to whatever it is that that person has done to you. And you say, no, you know what? I'm fine. Doesn't affect me like that, Father Anthony. I'm fine. I'm not letting go, but I'm fine. It's locked away in that crawl space. I'm fine. I guarantee you this. I guarantee you this. I guarantee you this. That if you have bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness inside, I guarantee you this, it will rear its ugly head at the worst possible time. You may not see it today. You may say everything's fine today, but I guarantee you at the worst possible time, it'll come up. It'll start to surface when you start to get close in that relationship. And while you were distant, no problem. But as you started to get close and things started to get serious, some stuff started coming up. And I started seeing some stuff and feeling some stuff and I ended up sabotaging the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Where'd that come from? It'll come up, you were fine when you were married, but all of a sudden kids came into the picture and all of a sudden you always thought you'd be like the most loving, the most caring, but all of a sudden... There's this ugly stuff that's coming out of you and you don't really know where it's coming from. You'll go hear a sermon. You're fine. Everything's fine. And then you hear a sermon about God is good and the goodness of God our Father. And inside, you're angry. say, if God is so good, then why? And if God is so good, then how come? And let me tell you, and I'm telling you, unforgiveness will rear its head at the worst imaginable time. Unforgiveness is like cancer. Cancer may start in, in, in your lung or in your, 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 your pancreas or wherever it may be, but it's just a matter of time. If it stays in there, that thing's gonna spread, hit the bones, and it's gonna destroy you and kill you. It's gonna eat you up alive. Bitterness and resentment is the same way. If left untreated, it's just a matter of time before it destroys you and destroys everything that's valuable to you. So, now that I made you feel miserable about the unforgiveness that's inside, let's pick things up on a positive note. What do I do? How do I resolve it? How do I know if I have this unforgiveness? How do I know if I'm resentful? And if it's there, what do I do? Well, I'm going to tell you, I don't want to say four steps because I don't think this is like step one, step two, step three, step four. As much as what I want to say is four ideas, four concepts okay, that you need to incorporate. Now, there's obviously more and there's prayer and there's you know your scriptures and your spiritual father. Um, um, This is not a comprehensive list of everything you need to do. But this is four things that I think every single person, every one of us, whether we know it or don't know it, every one of us needs to make sure we do the following four things. The first thing simply is to taste the mercy of God because I cannot offer what I have not tasted. I cannot give you what I have not received myself. You know the expression, hurt people, hurt people? You may have heard that before, hurt people, hurt people. Well, the same is true with forgiveness. Unforgiven people struggle to forgive. And people who know forgiveness and taste forgiveness, it's much easier for them to give forgiveness, okay? He who is forgiven much loves much. He who is forgiven little loves little, is what Jesus said. So I think... Okay, the first step, if you've never tasted the mercy of God, like if you're carrying your own unforgiveness of yourself, like your own weight of your own sin, you like I told that story about how we did this, we did this, and God has forgiven us, and we, we, we walk home from church on cloud nine, and you're like, what is he talking about? i never experienced that. Man, that's step one. And step one is to get face-to-face with God and hold him at his word, what he says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the first step is, man, I gotta let go of what's eaten me up. I gotta go to the master and beg for forgiveness. I can't walk around thinking I owe $100,000. I need to go face-to-face with God and face-to-face with my sinfulness and realize that God is willing to remove the massive debt that I owe him no matter what it may be. So that's step one, okay? Taste God's mercy. Step two, reveal your hurt. And what I mean by that is stop pretending that you're fine. Stop pretending that it didn't bother you. Stop pretending that there's nothing in that crawl space. What I've discovered when it comes to every aspect of life, spiritual as well as physical, is that if you have a problem in life, this does not solve it. It feels like it does. Oh, no, there's a problem. The problem is gone. It's not really gone. But that's what some of us do. Someone has hurt us, but we don't want to deal with it. So what's easier is everything is fine right now. I don't see any problem anymore. I'm telling you, like I said earlier, it may be hidden today, but it will pop out at the worst possible time when you least desire it. And let me go a step further. This applies especially to anyone in this room who is a little extra sensitive. And you know who you are. If you are, I'm not saying it in a bad way. To be honest, you may be surprised by this. This actually applies to me. I'm actually a little extra sensitive. I'm a very, a considerate person, hopefully. But I'm also easily hurt and easily offended. And because of that, I need to be extra on guard My wife is, of course, very happy with what I'm saying right now, okay? Extra on guard because I'm at risk of her doing something very small, which in her eyes is no big deal, but in my eyes, it's a big deal. And I get hurt, and I get offended. And what I typically do, because I'm me, is what I say is, you should say, is everything okay? And I'll say, yeah, I'm fine. No problem. Because it's easier for me to convince myself that I'm fine than it is to admit that I got hurt. Because I don't like to admit I got hurt. I am hurt and sensitive. and I, You know what I'm saying? But what I'm saying is if this is you, and you know if this is you, You know if this is you, if you get hurt more than most people do, and everyone around you, okay, this this is not me with my wife. This may be you with your, but this is not me with my wife. Everyone around you is an idiot. Everyone around you is rude. Everyone around you doesn't know what they're doing. Everyone around you is inconsiderate. If it's everyone around you is, then maybe it's me. Maybe I need to be honest and not do the, I'm fine. It'll always be easier to see the rest of the world is wrong versus admit that someone has the power to hurt you. Let's be honest. Even the small hurts. There don't need to be big hurts. Let's reveal the hurt. Second thing, or third thing, release your debtor. Now, I've given many talks about forgiveness, and and, and in those talks, I oftentimes give like a step of a how-to, because people are like, how do I forgive? How do I forgive? So I'm not going to go through that, but if you're interested in that, go on our YouTube page and search for a series called Things Jesus Never Said, and one of the talks in there was, when I forgive, I forget. Okay, so the idea there is that sometimes we confuse forgiving and forgetting. So Jesus never said, when I forgive, I forget. So in that talk, it's a 45-minute talk where I talk about specifics of how I encourage you to do that. Won't go into all those details now, but the crux of it is is that anytime we feel hurt or we feel angry or upset, all, usually what it is is we feel like someone took something from me and therefore they owe me. That's why even the expression that we need to get even, okay? There needs to be payback that someone took something from me. Anytime there's resentment, underneath that resentment, something was taken from me. Something, something you took something that belonged to me. From my childhood, you took my innocence or... You took my security in marriage, okay? Like I shouldn't have to feel like this. Or, 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 or you took like the, 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 the trust that I had, like you took something from me, you owe me. The problem is that most debts cannot actually be repaid. Someone took your childhood, can they ever give it back? Someone hurt you in the beginning of marriage, you say like my trust, can they ever give it back? The person who focuses on payback will never find happiness because he'd be living in a world will never be complete. So what I say, we need to release our debtors. We need to find freedom, but the only way to find freedom, the only path to freedom from this jail of resentment is forgiveness. So we're going to taste God's mercy. We're going to reveal our hurt. No more, I'm fine. We're going to release our debtors. And then number four, we're going to be ready to do it again. Repeat steps one through three. Oftentimes, I'm asked, Father Anthony, tell me the one most important criteria in a successful marriage. And I say always the same thing forgiveness. Number one criteria. Actually, not just in marriage, in any relationship. Number one criteria for me and you, if me and you are gonna be best friends 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, if you're still gonna like me and I'm still gonna like you, gotta be forgiveness. Because you're gonna hurt me and I'm gonna hurt you at some point. Because I'm gonna make a mistake and you're going to make a mistake. And the only way this relationship works is either we never speak to each other or communicate with each other, or there has to be forgiveness, because ultimately, it's inevitable. Someone's going to forget your birthday. Your wife is going to uh, run the car into the garage, okay? These things are inevitable in life, okay? <laughs> Someone is going to lose their cool, or whatever it may be. As long as we're alive, if we want to maintain our relationship, we must be ready to forgive and forgive again. Because of that, let's go back to the very first verse that we started this message with. Remember this conversation between Peter and Jesus? Maybe now it has a little bit different context for us. This is us asking God, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? up to seven times, and Jesus, because he loves you and he wants you to be happy and he wants you to find freedom. says, my brother, my sister, my son, my daughter, I do not say to you up to seven times, but I say to you 70 times seven. My question for you today is, what is it you are holding on to? I told you we're gonna open some doors and we're gonna peek and prod in that crawl space. We're gonna look in the attic and what's that? What have you been throwing in there and you just don't wanna deal with? What pain? What hurt? What rejection? What anguish? What is it that you've been saying? No big deal, no big deal, no big deal. But man, every time you wanna move forward in life, man, something drags you back. Every time relationally you're ready to take the next step, man, something drags you back. Every time you find yourself you just don't know why why do you respond this way why are you reacting why you're afraid why are you and you something is pulling you back well, what i'm saying today is enough 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 not for their sake for your sake enough time to let go time to forgive time to release the offender and myself from this mental prison Time to release myself from continuing to hurt myself. And every time I remember that memory, every time I tell myself that story and retell that story, and I watch the movie again, and then I hit rewind and watch the movie again, and then rewind, and I watch the movie of my hurt, I'm stabbing myself, and I'm stabbing myself. Enough! Enough! Remember when we were kids, and our older brother would come and... and, and, and Us down on the ground. Who take our own hand and he? Why you slapping yourself? Why you slapping yourself? Why you slapping yourself? Remember that? Why you slapping yourself? Why you slapping yourself? I, I. That's what we're doing, but we're doing it willingly, and we're allowing the other person what they've done to us to continue to hurt us. Man, they hurt you yesterday. They don't have to hurt you today. They hurt you 10 years ago? You don't have to let them hurt you today and hurt you tomorrow and hurt you the next day. Man, they could be off somewhere right now. They could be on the moon for all I know. They could be on the beach somewhere and enjoying life, but you are a slave to what they did to you back in 1987. And I say, enough. You've been forgiven a debt you can't repay. If you add up, I hope you believe this, if you add up all the debt that anyone owes you throughout your life, and you put that next to the debt that you owe God, I hope you realize that it's not even close. If you add up all the wounds that have been inflicted upon you and all the wounds that you have inflicted, number one, upon others, and number two, upon God, if you see all that debt compared to all that debt, and it's not even close, and the most forgiven, should be the most forgiving, because that's God's path to happiness. Blessed, or happy, or the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. One of the best barometers of your happiness and fulfillment in life, I believe, will be your ability to forgive others. One of the best ways to measure, to predict, I'm sorry, to predict your level of happiness between now and whenever God calls us to the other side will be your ability to let go. Those who figure out forgiveness live free and happy and blessed. And those who don't, don't. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the mercy and the forgiveness which you offer us freely, and the debt which you cancel for each one of us. None of us, Lord, is worthy to stand before you, None of us deserves to even call ourselves your children. But you've forgiven us, Lord, for a debt we can never repay. And I pray, Lord, that you would free us from the slavery to bitterness and resentment and grudges and unforgiveness. That you would do like a a massive cleanup in the crawl spaces of our hearts. And you would remove anything in there, Lord, which is displeasing to you, especially this unforgiveness. Give us the strength and the courage and the boldness, Lord to enter into this area of mercy and forgiveness, knowing that ultimately, in the end, Lord, we're the ones who will reap the benefits more than anyone. We ask these things in the name of your Son, with the prayers of all of your saints. Here it says we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Anthony.